Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 82, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean. What a wonderful world. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. This is it. We have reached the finale of Stone Ocean. Not the first part finale or first core, not the second part or, or core finale, the true ending of Stone Ocean. And it is bittersweet. Yeah, and in a way, it's it's the conclusion of the entire series. But I guess this version of it. <laughs> it really is the end of an era. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's something we can all agree on. I think Araki's whole intent behind the way he ended Stone Ocean was to sort of change things up in the world of JoJo to take things in a new direction. So yeah, we really are reaching the end of an era and that's what makes it even more bittersweet. And we're excited to dive right into that, to talk all about this episode, What a Wonderful World, um, talk about the explanation that Pucci gives us about heaven, about how everything plays out, about the universe reset, um, and of course, share our overall thoughts on Stone Ocean. But before we get into that, we do want to take the opportunity to once again remind everybody about our schedule, because after this episode, things are going to shift back to the way they originally were. And what I mean by that is, if you're a a new joiner of Strictly JoJo, you may not realize this, but technically we're a bi-weekly podcast. However, we have been weekly throughout the entirety of our Stone Ocean Review series, and it's been a number of weeks that we've been weekly because they released parts two and three, or core two and three, Um, pretty close to each other. So yeah, we've been moving along weekly for quite some time. But because we're traditionally a bi-weekly podcast, after this episode, we're going to switch back to being bi-weekly. And so the next episode you'll get from us is on March 27th. We're going to have a fun discussion coming up, and then we're going to transition back into Stardust Crusaders, pick up where we left off, and that'll happen on April 10th. It's kind of bittersweet that we're going back to a bi-weekly format uh, because, like, we, like you said, we, we did this for Stone Ocean just because it was the newest JoJo part, and we wanted to engage in as much discussion as we could on a weekly basis. But I think after this point, the only other time we'd be able to return to a, a weekly format is whenever they announce Part 7, Steel Ball Run for anime. And who knows how long that will take. I mm-hmm. mean, the gap between part five and part six um, anime adaptations was pretty long. It was longer than usual. I think normally it only takes about a year or two, and this was longer than that. Um, but hey, I'm willing to wait as long as I need to to give David Production all the time they need to give us a great part seven adaptation. And on top of our switch back to bi-weekly, um, you guys know, we've shared this before, that we are expecting a baby, our first baby, and we are actually very close to the due date. Um, so if some of you are wondering what that's going to do to Strictly JoJo or even to Strictly Anime or other podcast, you guys shouldn't see any disruptions in the podcasting schedule. We're working very hard to try and get ahead of episodes. That way, we can take the time off that we need, but you guys won't notice a change on your end. So with all that housekeeping out of the way, let's jump into a bit of JoJo news because we talked a bit about the um, Crunchyroll Anime Awards and the fact that Stone Ocean was nominated in a number of categories. And we promised you guys we'd circle back after the awards to talk about how everything panned out. Yeah, so even though we've concluded Stone Ocean 
and the series ended on a very high note. It seems that that wasn't necessarily recognized uh, in a similar fashion in terms of award season. As most of you know, the Crunchyroll Anime Awards happened earlier this month, and Stone Ocean was nominated in four major categories, those being Best VA Performance in Japanese, Best Action, Best Continuing Series, and Best Character Design. However, it did not win in any of those categories. Boo! (laughs) I think, at the very least, it should have won Best Character Design. For sure. I mean, you can't argue the attention of detail, uh, the attention to detail that David Production puts into the characters' facial features, their their movements, their gestures. Uh, that award ultimately went to Demon Slayer, and it kind of felt like it was the Demon Slayer award ceremony for most of that night. Yeah. But yeah, I was hoping at least one award would go to jojo Uh, in my opinion i think it should have gone to the best va performance in japanese which is what fairu's eye the japanese voice actor for jolene was nominated for that ultimately went to yuki kaji who played aaron yeager in attack on titan not to say that he's not a, a fantastic voice actor but i think i've mentioned this many times on strictly jojo that fairu's eye has a great Cinderella story when it comes to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and so I think if she had won this award it'd be kind of like the the cherry on top for like her her trajectory in the Jojo world but yeah unfortunately that's not what happens and you know like award ceremonies we shouldn't use those as a barometer for how successful an anime series is but for a series like Jojo I was hoping that it would get a little bit more recognition I'm still stunned about character design. I want to go back to that because I I need to say my piece on that. I voted for JoJo for best character design because, I mean, the characters are iconic. Even if we're talking outside of Stone Ocean, what other anime series has characters that look so incredibly unique down to the enemy stand users? Like even the enemy stand users in each JoJo part have distinct looks to them. Mm -hmm. Or if they're not enemy stand users, the enemies that we get in parts one and two. Um, They're all based on music references or fashion references. Like there's so much thought and attention put into every character, big and small. Um, And not only that, but then their stands have references as well. And their stands have unique looks as well. I mean, Araki must spend so much time on developing all of his characters just from a design aspect. And then if you're the type of person who considers character design to also include personality, the personalities we get are so distinct in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, so yeah, I just think that that was, that was a, what do you call it? Like a, they were snubbed, snuffed, snubbed? Snubbed. <laughs> snubbed um, in that category. I, I felt confident about JoJo winning that one. But yeah, I don't know, like Demon Slayer is great and all, and, and we talk a lot about it over at Strictly Anime, but when you compare characters in Demon Slayer to characters in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, I don't know, like there's just, to me, there's a distinct difference. There's something that JoJo offers in their characters that many other anime can't, can't do. I'll even say that it boils down to colors as well for these characters, because I know sometimes they don't use the same 
colors for character clothing as they do in the manga, thinking specifically for, I guess, part six, uh, Jolene, like her outfit is like a, a, what what kind of, like a cobalt blue in the manga where it's kind of toned down a bit or like a darker color in the anime. It's like a greenish, like, like a, like a algae green. Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of greenish color. <laughs> yeah. But it still makes sense. And so I have to commend David Production for the choice of colors when adapting each of these parts into a manga and in, in that it still makes the characters feel iconic and really stand out. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Just the outfits alone. I mean, if you think about all the, the nominees, you've got Demon Slayer, Spy Family, My Dress Up Darling, Cyberpunk, Edge Runners, and Ranking of Kings with the other ones on here. All of the outfits are rooted in some sort of like reality, I guess. Like Ranking of Kings feels very medieval. Um, My Dress Up Darling is modern day plus cosplay, you know, whatever. Um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, I mean, just think about Anasui's outfit. Who well, the that, fuck is that's... walking around with fishnets with footprints on them? That's high Nobody. fashion. <laughs> that's all high fashion. <laughs> like, that is so unique. It is so unique and different. And I'm like, what the fuck? How does that? Like, Weather Report's fucking hat. We can't even explain if it's a hat or if it's hair. Same with Jotaro. Like, that to me... That to me is like iconic. Like you don't forget those kinds of things. I mean, Jotaro's hat is a fucking meme now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just had to say that about character design because I'm like, if there was at least one category, I I was so confident it was going to be that one. By the way, if anyone's curious, the other two categories, best action and best continuing series, the winners for those were for action, Demon Slayer for continuing series, One Piece. Which I guess, you know, yeah. <laughs> JoJo didn't stand a chance against One Piece. It but... sets the standard for ongoing series. <laughs> yeah. And maybe action, you know, JoJo may not be really action heavy until we get to like the stand battles. But as we said, just one, if, if JoJo Stone Ocean had walked away with just one award, that would have been fine with us. But yeah, that didn't turn out to be the case unfortunately i guess the the silver lining is that it got nominated in multiple categories so it's mm-hmm. getting additional exposure for anyone who's not a jojo fan or who doesn't understand the the greatness that is jojo they can see well shit if it was nominated in multiple categories maybe there's a reason maybe we should go take a take a look and get hooked like the rest of us jojo fans all right let's dive into what a wonderful world localized title for this episode is It's a Wonderful World because the title name itself is the name of a song, one that I hold near and dear to my heart. Um, but uh, It's a Wonderful World is it's pretty close, you know? Eh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. When you hear Wonderful World, you can't help but put what a in front of it. Yeah. But I, I get, as with all the other localized stuff, I, I get it. <laughs> they tried their best. Like, like we said in the last couple of episodes, like Made in Heaven... Um, and the arc right before that. Why am I blanking on that arc? Sea Moon. Sea Moon, yes. They they got real close. They got super close, as close as they possibly could. So It's a Wonderful World is pretty damn close to What a Wonderful World. So I'll, that one I'll take over some of the other localized titles that we get in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I know we're going to dive in deep at the end of this on our, our final thoughts of this episode. Um, but I guess just talking high level, some some quick things that stood out to me about this finale is the emotion. I mean, the emotion is phenomenal. 
I felt things with this this finale. Um, it really did like make me choked up at certain points. And a lot of that has to do with Emporio. I was incredibly mm. impressed with Emporio's voice actor throughout this entire episode. And even in the previous episode, when things really started to like when shit hit the fan and Emporio really started freaking out about stuff, you can hear the terror and the panic in his voice, realizing that he is alone in this situation, realizing that he is the last hope for the Joe bros and for the world. Um, and then that switch that he makes when he finally can take down Poochie and the confidence he's exuding is something that we have not gotten from Emporio pretty much the entire story because he's been a very timid, very anxious kind of kid. So I just think that even though the finale didn't focus on Jolene, we still had a great alternative. Yeah, it's kind of ironic because this is what I consider to be the ultimate finale to this iteration of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure universe, but there aren't, technically there aren't any Joe stars present in this finale uh, because of course, Jolene and Jotaro have long passed uh, and are not in this new universe that Pucci has created. But I, I, I guess in a way, Emporio is almost pulling a Jotaro part four here by him quote unquote stealing the spotlight from the respective parts protagonist in this case Jolene uh, but I think that that makes it even more impactful to see that even though he is not a Joestar by blood the the legacy of the Joestar lineage still lives on in his resolution to fight back against Poochie at the very end of this episode and it's also just interesting that this episode's only two scenes. It's just Emporio in the prison and then the alternate universe. But I still think this episode packs a punch with what it's given in these two scenes. Like it, it almost feels like an, an epilogue in a way, almost like the end of part five where it just threw in that epilogue with um, Rolling Stones. But it still even though it, it still kind of deviated, I would say, from the JoJo norm, it still left a significant impact. Yeah, it's crazy to think that there's only two sequences that unfold this entire episode, and yet it goes by so fast. We've seen this, what, two, three times now with mm -hmm. our rewatches in preparation for this episode, and even still, like, it just goes by so fast. It's almost like it's almost like a menacing walking simulator for Poochie because he's just walking the whole time. Yeah. He's walking and yapping. <laughs> he doesn't shut up the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and I, I noticed that a lot of the episode is just Emporio running and screaming. <laughs> but like, the crazy Poochie. thing is it's so good. Like, mm -hmm. even though it's only one real action up until, like, uh, Poochie gets defeated, I don't mind it. Like, it's so intense. It's mm -hmm. so well done. Um, and I, I don't really recall how this all played out in the manga when I read it. But props to David Production for making this finale something so spectacular, something so enthralling and compelling, despite it just being two people walking and freaking out. <laughs> yeah, because if you think about it, this is, this is technically a, a rerun of The Visitor arc from part one of stone ocean yeah but then it it subverts expectations <laughs> once we see emporio finally <laughs> finally grow some balls and kick poochie's ass which is just that was phenomenal just how it all played out 
and how even that, like the symbolism of that, like this being a rerun, but then Emporio fighting against fate uh, just played out beautifully. All right, JoJo fans, it's time to take one last dip into the stone ocean as we diver down into our synopsis and discussion for part six, episode 38, What a Wonderful World. Emporio tries to adjust himself to the new iteration of Green Dolphin Street Prison, where he encounters some very unfortunate-looking Jolene and Jotaro variants in the fateful visitation room. Puchigangiest rears his unheavenly head to explain that his prisonception universe is one in which everyone has already read spoilers about the end of their lives, unless you're the prison posse, in which case your adaptation wasn't even greenlit. Believing this to be the ultimate form of heaven, Puchigangiest deems Emporio unworthy of such a paradise and chases the baseball boy into his ghost room as was predetermined since Pucci already saw the Visitor episode from Stone Ocean Part 1. But fear not, Jojo fans, for Emporio has picked up the skill of one-upsmanship from his Joestar Onesan and tricks Pucci Gangiest into playing Weather Report's stand album in Emporio's head, a parting gift to the baseball boy from the juvenile Jojo. Seeing that he can't skip tracks on this album, Pucci Gangiest decides to just do a hard reset of the universe instead, so Emporio provides him with plenty of air suplena for Pucci to literally choke in his last play before Baseball Boy uses wacky weather to pummel Pestilent Priest into Kingdom Come Room. Emporio is then thrust into a further, further universe where he encounters the more fortunate-looking variants of Hermes, Anasui, Weather Report, and his beloved Onesan, Jolene who is just as juvenile, jubilant, and judicious as her original counterpart. Emporio decides to hitch a ride with the Jolene variant and the out-of-prison posse, for it cannot be denied that when it comes to a Jojo, we will love them in every universe. And now we're into our next segment of the show, is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. And we just have one reference in this episode that's with the episode title, What a Wonderful World. As we alluded to earlier, this is a musical reference to What a Wonderful World, a 1967 song first recorded by Louis Armstrong and notable for its inclusion in the soundtrack to the 1987 film Good Morning Vietnam. The song would later be inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1999. I mentioned earlier that the song has a holds a special place in my heart. It's because it's one of my grandpa's favorite songs, and he would always play it for us. So it was nice to see that they titled this episode, What a Wonderful World. It would have been nice to hear the song or see references, like lyrical references to the song yeah. in, in, the, in the episode, like Trees of Green, Red Roses too, but, you know. I mean, it's Florida. There's, there's green trees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And we have two. The most notable. Finally. <laughs> I know, fucking finally. The most notable one is Ugly Jotaro, which is the Jotaro variant that we get in the visitation room after the universe reset or whatever it is. And man, is that motherfucker ugly. I've seen it in a couple of iterations like, Ugly Jotaro isn't real. He can't hurt you. Um, <laughs> or me creating new accounts to get one month free trials. And it's got like the original Jojo, 
the um, Oingo version of Jotaro mm-hmm. from part three. Uh, we've got Kyutaro Kujo, which is the the guy that Jolene mistook as Jotaro in her flashback when she was in like juvie, I think. And people, I mean, he's not literally called Kyutaro Kujo because that reference comes from part, part three. three yeah. But that's what people named him. And then, of course, we have Ugly Jotaro, the variant from the reset. I feel like a ugly Jotaro looks more like what Jotaro could have looked like having been under stress from working so much with like finding these enemy stands and protecting <laughs> Jolene. But we know that the real Jotaro aged more gracefully um, even in this part, in, in part six. The other meme we have is actually kind of a sad one. The meme is that we basically never get the full Joe Bros together in Stone Ocean. It's that, mm. That's the meme. Like it's, it's one of those like blow my mind scenarios. And it says the Stone Ocean gang never fully meet at the same time. And that hurts. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah, Foo Fighters is, is long gone before Anasu even steps into the story yeah let's let's run this down really quick who doesn't actually meet each other oh wait no i i, I take that back because foo fighters did meet anasui uh in the yeah because anasui was like you need to help me yeah, yeah get yeah. jolene's affection i think weather report maybe is what i meant but weather report and foo fighters talk to each other over the walkie-talkie yeah but they never meet in person to our knowledge Unless I'm forgetting something in part one. Yeah, thinking through this. So uh, Foo Fighters was never in the ghost room. So she never saw Weather Report there. And then when Weather Report first gets introduced to Jolene is when they fight the monkey enemy stand user. And after that, he's hospitalized because that ends part one or the first core. Mm -hmm. And then he's barely in the second core. The second core is all about Foo Fighters. And she doesn't actually encounter or interact with the real weather report because that was a decoy. Yeah, so they've spoken because of the walkie-talkie part right before her demise, but they never actually meet. So then, um, obviously, Jotaro has never met Foo Fighters mm-hmm. and never meets on... A, uh, no, sorry, never meets weather report. Yeah. Basically, none of them have all been in a room together at the same time. <laughs> yeah is there anyone else who hasn't actually met um uh, no because yeah emporials met all of them weather report weather reports met hermes yeah because yeah. the, the ghost room yeah okay so yeah that is kind of sad i mean it's not kind of sad it's really sad <laughs> it's really sad and i mean even sadder because we don't get the full reunion in the universe reset which we'll talk about when we get to the end of this episode. But that, I think, could have been an opportunity to finally see the Joe Bros together. But even then, it doesn't happen. Of course, with this being the final episode of Stone Ocean, we were expecting a sort of revamped OP. And that is what we got for this final episode. Uh, what's more interesting is that you know it, it does the whole sound effect thing, I think, towards the middle half of the OP. But... On top of that, David Production managed to inject various references to previous OPs, which just makes this seem more like the finale to the entire series, at least up until this point as we know it. Uh, So I actually found a YouTube video that does a comparison 
of this final Stone Ocean OP with some of the scenes that it references in previous OPs, and we'll share a link to this in the Discord. But to kind of touch upon those, actually before we do that, there's stuff that happens before all of those references, especially with certain images finally, like certain silhouetted images finally appearing. Yeah, most notably, um, the clouds are not present during Weather Report's quick moment, and you see what's behind them, which is Perla jumping off the cliff from his mm -hmm. backstory. And then the Sons of Dio are no longer shaded out. They, they actually show the Sons of Dio in this final one. I don't know why they waited till the last one. They could have yeah. started showing us that after the Sons of Dio were introduced, but we get it here in this uh, last version or last iteration of the OP. And then things kick into high gear once... The chorus kicks in, and that's where they're in the courtyard where Jolene met up with Savage Garden, right? That was the the, the bird's name. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you see Jolto and Star Platinum make their cameo in Stopping Time, but then it's interrupted by Poochie, who lunges at them, and then the screen fades to black. And then this is where the homage comes in, starting off with the sort of splash of manga panels from parts one to six that appeared in part one's OP, uh, Phantom Blood. So a uh, huge callback there. And I think a lot of the rest of this OP kind of takes place in that Joestar Mansion setting that the later half of the part one OP takes place in. So very... Very big callback in that sense, especially because I feel like, you know, Jolene and Jonathan, they, they share a similar fate in that they they die, or at least Jolene quote unquote dies at the end of her respective part. Yeah, and it's kind of like showing the two paths meeting their endpoints, the one path being Jonathan and the Joe stars, mm -hmm. the other path being Dio, ending with Poochie. So it's kind of like bringing things full circle or bringing things to completion. Yeah, for sure. And then after this, I don't think there's a comparison shot of this, but there is a shot of all the JoJo protagonists that we've seen in the anime with their related artifacts that are wrapped in threads as the camera's sort of panning across them. You also get, um, I, at least the two that I caught, were the sound of Hamon and the sound of gold experience. Gold mm -hmm. experience. I almost said, almost said golden. <laughs> gold experience. Um, so the Hamon noise, of course, you know, is like that wine or that crystal glass, like noise um when they're breathing and then i caught the gold experience one which is that like rewind sound mm -hmm. so i don't know if they infused other stand sounds or iconic sounds in between that but it to me it, at least those two stood out which kind of represented like the start and then where things left off right before jolene came into the picture and i guess the last kind of references that i i caught in this op was when jolene and poochie face off there's this sort of elevating shot of the two of them that is very similar to a shot in part three stardust crusaders second op where it's like a swirl of tarot cards and then it goes up towards jotaro and dio as they're about to face off it's almost like a shot for shot remake of that and then stone ocean i think as she gets ready to punch poochie she does a wind up that's very similar to a wind-up punch that Jonathan does in the part one OP. So a lot of, again, these full circle moments that are presented in this OP that just bring all of the parts together 
and s- suggests a sort of finale to this iteration of the Joestar family saga. So while the OP happens um, a little bit after like the opening to the episode, um, we're going to start off with the first moments of this episode. Emporio is freaking out. He's back in Green Dolphin Street Prison. He realizes he's outside of the visiting room or visitation room, and he opens the door to find ugly Jotaro and what I'm going to call weird Jolene because she looks weird um, in that room, and it's the the whole variant situation. I want to say props to the voice actors for Jotaro and Jolene for slightly changing their delivery for these variants. If you Mm -hmm. listen carefully, they, of course, sound like the original Jotaro and Jolene, but just slightly different. Different enough where you can tell, like, this is not the Jotaro and Jolene that we know and love. Jotaro doesn't sound as intense or as confident um, in his normal delivery. And Jolene almost sounds a little more whiny and, like, just kind of annoying. <laughs> so I thought that was a nice added touch that they slightly altered the way they ha- they handled those performances. Especially the way that this Jolene was talking. There was one point where it just looked like she was gawking at Jotaro, kind of like the uh, the hand puppet that one of the prison guards had, like the movements of the hand puppet. Oh yeah, felt like the way that this Jolene variant was talking. It's very off-putting, of course, because this is an alternate universe, uh, and of course you can tell it's not the real Jolene because uh, instead of the butterfly insignia and tattoo that Jolene has, I think it's uh, like a wasp. Or like a, a bumblebee. I want to say more of a wasp because that makes more sense for this sinister version of Jolene. We also know it's not the real Jotaro because then Pucci shows up and punches the shit out of Jotaro and he goes flying, or f- ugly Jotaro, and he goes flying into fake or weird Jolene. And I'm like, there's no fucking way. There is no <laughs> way Pucci could punch the shit out of Jotaro and make him fly across the room like that. So that's confirmation. This is a, a nerfed Jotaro. <laughs> yeah, discount Jotaro. <laughs> so then uh, Emporio and Pucci, um, you know, they're, they're talking in the visitation room. Pucci starts saying that today is November 30th, 2011. And Emporio asks if they've traveled back in time, if it's still the year 2011. Um, but November and Pucci says no they've actually traveled past the end of the universe and back to this point anew so they've come full circle since the original visitation room day yeah this has to do with quantum physics which you know you and I are not experts in um, but I think it's kind of just similar to a black hole where everything gets sucked into a black hole and then whatever gets spit out uh, gets spit out. In this case, it's just advancing back to that moment in time for, or at least Pucci wanted to advance to this moment in time. And I think what's happening here is everyone who survived the universe reset or whatever is here in this new universe. But because fate still has to play out, the universe needs to have a Jotaro and a Jolene. However, they died in the last iteration of the universe. So that's why we're getting variants of them in this new universe, because in order for fate to play out as it was supposed to in the previous, or as it did in the previous universe, it needs to fill those voids. But it can't do it one for one because the original versions of themselves have already been annihilated. And I think that's what Pucci's kind of talking through. And he says a lot of shit. He says a lot of shit in this episode. We're going to kind of talk through each of his major points and kind of break down what he's saying. And I love this because one of the questions that I had 
being a Stone Ocean manga reader first, which is like a rare thing for me, was how are David Production going to explain the universe reset in a way that's easy to digest with this anime adaptation? Because I know I've said this before on the podcast that there's a lot of people who read the Stone Ocean manga and then have to go and, and look up what the hell happens in these final moments because it is very confusing the way it's delivered in the manga. But I have to say, I feel much more confident um, and I feel much more understanding of what's going on based on the way David production did everything. Yeah, I don't think I was too confused watching this for the first time. And of course, I, I, I had to read up on it afterwards to get more clarification. But I mean, Pucci kind of just lays it out uh, as much as it's it's a whole science documentary of what has happened that he's he's spewing it it makes sense especially with i think the, the idea is just that this universe is one where everyone knows their predetermined fate yeah and and so there's not really much for us to dive into in terms of what's physically happening here because this is when walking simulator starts it's just Poochie menacingly walking after Emporio as Emporio frantically tries to escape so not much to be said there until Emporio reaches his ghost room so as far as what Poochie's saying along the way he's saying that all those who died in the previous iteration of the universe not even their souls made it to this new universe meaning they are effectively erased and that sends Emporio into a major panic because he realizes that all the Joe Bros are gone, and he is the only one left. Pucci then says that things will largely play out as they did in the previous universe because that is fate, meaning he already knows Emporio is going to retreat to his ghost room. That's what happened before. That's what you mentioned a little bit ago. Um, and in that sequence of you know making his way to the ghost room, we take a, a moment to listen in on the two guards that are talking and the one guard feels like he kind of knows what's going to happen next. He says like, Oh, I think we're going to, we're going to like fall or something's going to happen to us in a little bit, almost like they're experiencing deja vu. And Emporio says he also kind of feels like he knows what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because the things that th these people, you know, including Emporio have come from the previous universe where they've already experienced what's going to happen. So they may not consciously realize that things are, like things have literally happened as they're already playing out, but maybe in their subconscious, it's telling them, hey, be careful because in a previous iteration, this thing, this whatever happened to you, and so it's bound to happen again. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess my question is, since Jolene, Jotaro, the, the, the Joe Bros, the prison posse, all of them, besides Emporio, haven't passed on to this universe and they're replaced with variants does that mean the lives of the variants are going to play like do their fates play similarly to the originals or does poochie manipulate them so that they don't necessarily interfere with his plans that's a good question. So I think all of this is new to the variants because they've never experienced it before because they were never in the previous universe. But I think they're still having to, their hands are still forced to play into fate. Mm. That's what Pucci keeps saying. But I think what Pucci's also saying is that he is the only one who's not bound by fate, not yeah. bound by destiny. He could let fate run its course, but he doesn't need to because he's the one who's been given this power by God or whatever he was saying. 
And so he goes on to explain to Emporio yet again. I'm pretty sure he's already explained this to Emporio, but I'm fine having additional explanations. Um, you know, why, like what his ultimate goal was. And he says that all the fortunate souls who have survived the universe reset and made it to this new universe are blessed because they've already seen the future when time accelerated. They know who they're going to fall in love with, who they're going to end up hating, when they're going to get hurt, and even when they'll die. So it's not so that they can change their fate by having this knowledge, but it's so that everyone can live their fated destiny um, and be able to make the most of it and do their best to be happy with what fate is going to give them. He says something along the lines of like, even if you know tomorrow is your last day, knowing will give you the chance to make peace or to live through it peacefully or something to that effect. Which sounds nice in theory, <laughs> just thinking real in real terms, but what a boring life to know exactly how your life is going to play out yeah and i think it you, you're like not forced to make peace with it or be happy with it you could still be in a panic you could still be mm -hmm. distraught knowing like oh my god no matter what i do i am going to die on this day and in this way so he's thinking like you know everyone's going to be able to achieve happiness because they already know how their lives are going to play out but just because you know it doesn't mean you're going to be able to be happy because what if you're what if you're going to die like a really horrific death with a lot of pain how are you going to be happy about that? <laughs> You're mm -hmm. going to be like, fuck, this sucks. I guess, like, is this Poochie's way to reconcile what happened with Perla? Like, him not be aiming, being able to see how that fate sort of played out for her? I could see that. I mean, oftentimes, these stands are manifested from something deeply rooted in the person. Mm-hmm. So maybe Made in Heaven or whatever, whichever of his iteration of his stands um, stems from the whole Perla situation that, you know, he wasn't able to change what happened to her, but he could at least allow her some sort of happiness in the end because she died very sad. Yeah, I'm not sure about that end, but I feel like it's just Poochie wanting to be in control of the situation, which he... he tried to do with Perla, of course, but then I think he didn't have enough foresight to know how her fate would end up. And so I think this is his way to make up for that, believing that what he's doing here with Made in Heaven is going to help course correct other people's lives. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, so it's, it, it shows that there's more to Made in Heaven than uh, Pucci's deep-rooted connection with Dio. It's also tied into how his past played out yeah even though i think yeah, in terms of dio i think dio didn't want to die <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> like this was his his sort of cheat code if he would be able to see his fate and control it so by the end of the uh walking simulator sequence we have emporio trying to change fate by running away from his ghost room he knows if he turns right he'll be able to head to his ghost room if he turns left he'll head away from it and he doesn't want to show Poochie where that's at or be trapped in that room. However, when he decides to turn left, fate forces him towards his ghost room anyway when he like trips on a mop or steps on a mop and it flings mm. him backwards. And Poochie says that this is fate. You are bound to this fate. No matter what you do, you can't avoid going to your ghost room. And Poochie even recognizes that he could be bound to fate if he doesn't actively try to change it. So he says, if I let you, Emporio, escape now, you're only going to try to kill me later on because that's how fate is going to play out. But then he says, like, I'm going to kill you now so that because I have the ability, 
the sole ability to change fate. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kill you now. That way that fate doesn't actually come to fruition. So it's kind of crazy that like Pucci has, I mean, he is so fucking OP. We talked about this before when he got his gravity ability. He is so OP being able to impact the entire universe. What other JoJo villain can say that? <laughs> yeah, all the other ones were just able to stop time. And that's, that's nothing compared to actually controlling people's destinies yeah like we talked about like other dojo villains have multiple abilities like kira yoshikaga kira can blow shit up but then also like uh redo time not redo time but like have time loops or whatever Pucci can fucking um control gravity he can accelerate time and he is the only one who can manipulate fate that's pretty fucking crazy I guess his only downfall is that he was just blabbering too much and telling <laughs> Emporio his plans. It's, it's like that that tropey Bond villain speech. Um, he could have just used Made in Heaven to accelerate towards Emporio's location or like just to be within inches of Emporio and just kill him for good. But in this case, as much as we say Pucci doesn't let power get to his head because I don't think that's his ultimate goal, I think he's just reveling in it too much here, which un- unfortunately for him, this baseball boy is smarter than he looks because he catches on to what Pucci says about him being able to control people's destinies. You know what Emporio's ultimate power is? Reading. <laughs> Reading books. Literally three times in this episode, he says, I read about that and then explains it and then knows how to overcome it. Three times. And so with, with this... Because we have to remember that Pucci intentionally stopped the acceleration of time at the moment he felt Emporio was most vulnerable, which was this day near the visitation room. So he could have just let everything run its course and let Made in Heaven become complete, but he prematurely stopped it so that he could quickly get rid of Emporio. Granted, it wasn't quick because, like you said, he just keeps blabbing on. So then Pucci finally goes in for that killing blow, but as Emporio's falling into the wall, and correct me if I'm wrong because this is a bit confusing for me, as he's going to hit Emporio and Emporio gets sucked into the wall towards his ghost room, Emporio then puts the disc in front. That way, Pucci forces the disc into his head mm-hmm. using because technically, Made in Heaven has some you know foundational pieces of white stake. Is is that right? Yeah, because then that is in effect changing Emporio's fate since Pucci is the one pushing the disc into his head. Okay, that makes sense then, because Emporio, I think shortly after then, shortly after that, says if fate is predetermined but Pucci isn't bound to fate and can change it, then the only way he can get around this is if he makes Pucci change fate for him, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, exactly what he does then if if the weather report disc gets lodged into his brain. Now, Pucci, vastly underestimating the power of reading and how Emporio uses it, says that he's not worried about him having the weather report stand because the potential of a stand comes from the user, not the stand itself. And he recognizes weather report the user, his brother, as like a very intelligent individual. But again, I don't think Pucci realizes how smart Emporio is. Maybe that answers this question, but is do you think that's why Jolene trusted Emporio to follow through in defeating Pucci? Like, because we, we've seen throughout the series that she's placed so much trust in Emporio, um, giving him the disc and entrusting him to 
bring Jotaro's disc to the, the Speedwagon Foundation. Uh, like, why do you think Jolene put so much trust in him instead of herself to defeat Pucci? Even though it's kind of ironic because in this very instance, um, this this date in November with Emporio, I think this was the first time he met Jolene, he had originally warned her against going to the visitation room. Yeah, that's a good question. So my initial thought is, because uh, this kid reads books. <laughs> She's like, this kid is well-read. He knows shit. He'll be able to make shit happen. But no, more seriously, I feel like the options that she had available to her were all led to Emporio. So if you think about why she didn't end up going with Emporio in the last episode, she says that Pucci can just sense me wherever I'm at. So no matter mm, what I do, right. I will not get a break from him. I won't be able to like you know, ultimately defeat him if he always knows where I'm at. Um, so that's one plus side of Emporio is that Pucci theoretically could lose track of Emporio and mm-hmm. Emporio could, you know, have time to come up with a way to defeat him. Um, same with Jotaro. Jotaro is incredibly intelligent, but Pucci can sense him. I think the other option, no offense to Hermes, because she's kind of not as intelligent as some of the other Joe bros. The other option would have been Anasui, but Anasui was the first to die. So he was already mm. dead. Um, okay. Granted, all of them were already dead by the time the dolphin came around, but I think Anasui could have been an alternative in that case because Anasui is incredibly intelligent. I mean, I've touted about that you know many times over this the Stone Ocean Review series, um, but I, I think ultimately Emporio has proven that he has the potential mm-hmm. to do great things, but also that Pucci has vastly underestimated him because he has not been exposed to Emporio nearly enough to know what he's all about. So I think mm-hmm. that's what made him the perfect option to for Jolene to kind of pass the torch on to. Okay, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Um, it, it, Jolene is basically taking a gamble on Emporio, but she had the, I think she had the best odds. I'm, I'm not a gambling man. I don't know if that metaphor makes sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's also kind of cool just because with me mentioning how this particular date and time is when Emporio warned Jolene against going to the visitation room because that's where everything with Pucci starts to starts to happen. Uh, I think here he's making up for that moment because instead of him being that overly cautious and timid boy, thinking back to Jolene's resolve because there's that sequence of him realizing Jolene had sacrificed so much for him to get to this point that... This is his moment to follow in Jolene's footsteps and face fate head on. Yeah, I could see that. It is kind of weird how that, like, that is the moment in time that Pucci felt Emporio was most vulnerable, and it's probably because he he's more focused on Jolene in that moment and doing what's going to be best for her versus focusing on his own safety and well being. So after Emporio gets Weather Report's stand ability, um, he then talks about how he's read about high concentrations of oxygen being toxic. Again, the kid's well read. He had plenty of time to read all the books in his ghost room. So when Pucci is accelerating time to try and put Emporio at a disadvantage, Pucci doesn't realize that Weather Report, the stand, has been increasing the amount of oxygen in the room and mm-hmm. by accelerating time he's just making more oxygen create faster and so like he he's just basically ruining his poochie is ruining his own situation unknowingly by speeding up time in this moment 
I mean, I, I feel like we, we knew this whole time that Weather Report's disc was kind of like that dangling thread of how is this going to come back? And then here it's used as the the trump card against Poochie. But I like that there is a bit of symbolism with heavy weather, or sorry, with Weather Report being this ultimate chess piece to checkmate Poochie and Made in Heaven, especially in th- terms of thinking about how Poochie is so enamored with controlling fate and controlling destiny. I think the one thing we can agree on about weather in general is that weather cannot be confined to a predetermined fate, right? Because it it's very unpredictable and uncontrollable, no matter how accurate a forecast may be. I mean, just thinking <laughs> in, in real world, a couple of weeks ago, I think we, we were forecasted to have like heavy snow. That never happened. And we just got like light rain. Um, yeah, those of us in <laughs> Chicago know exactly how unpredictable weather can be. <laughs> yeah, so even though like it, it's it's also just uh, uh, a, an act of vengeance from a brother who's already passed to get re- proper revenge against his brother whose power has gone to his head, uh, there is that symbolic sort of gesture or representation of fate meeting or trying to fight against unpredictability well to expand on that i think that there is also symbolism in the fact that it is weather report stand that deals the killing blow to poochie because then that's weather report stand fulfilling weather report the stand user's goal of like you said getting revenge on his brother that's all he wanted this whole time was you know to kind of close his chapter and weather report even said like he's fine dying as long as you know he dies after he can kill Poochie. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, that's not how it, it actually plays out, but it is also symbolic that Weather Report the Stand is the one to actually kill Poochie. So a little bit before that, as Poochie and Emporio are succumbing to the higher levels of oxygen, um, Poochie realizes he's been uh, he's been tricked. Um, he's been taken not taken advantage of. He's Emporio's gotten the better of him in this situation and has the upper hand. And Emporio's personality does a 180. And I think he really starts to embody the confidence that Jolene has had and the confidence he's witnessed her exude over and over again throughout the story. Because I think at that point, don't they play like Jolene's like, not like her official theme song, but almost like her fight song? I think it's Jolene's official JoJo theme. Is it? Okay. I can't quite remember which one they play, but it was something. It was like Jolene's song of some sort Mm -hmm. that they played in that moment where Emporio has like really like a really intense look on his face and he just has all the confidence in the world. No, yeah. It's musically representative of how it's like Jolene's resolve is still flowing with him in this moment. And so... In a way, she's still in this fight alongside Emporio. So just great, great musical cue to tie things together. And there are other great cues in this scene. If I could just go a little bit further ahead when Emporio talks about the the Joe Bros who had brought him to this moment with their sacrifices, even though like they didn't know the future, but they they trust they entrusted each other to to overcome Poochie and then it ultimately that that responsibility falls into Emporio and he is now able to overcome whatever Poochie is about to throw at him and it's the theme for Stardust Crusaders or I guess Jotaro's theme that comes up in this moment so I think like that kind of represents 
them as a whole group, how they've worked together to fight this seemingly unstoppable force that was Pucci and Made in Heaven, but have ultimately triumphed over him through Emporio in the end. As Pucci is succumbing to the the whole oxygen situation, um, and Emporio's confidence is coming out, Emporio says that gravity still affects Pucci too, and that he can't escape he can't escape his own destiny even though Pucci seems to think so. So like Emporio is really being confident in this moment. He's basically mm-hmm. taking everything that Pucci has been yapping at him about over this whole walking simulator and throwing it right back in his face. And we realize, or at least Pucci realizes, that this is not the moment he can be defeated because Made in Heaven hasn't been completed yet since they haven't made a full circle and reached the point where Pucci started all of this in Cape Canaveral. So... Mm-hmm. Pucci almost played into his own demise by, again, prematurely stopping the acceleration of time to try and get rid of Emporio during the visitation room moment instead of waiting to get rid of Emporio when they made it all the way back to Cape Canaveral. So with this realization, Pucci starts doing what he always does, and he starts begging Emporio to stop, um, pleading for his life, saying that he's just striving to make everyone happy. And Emporio ultimately tells him, you're wrong. Like, you're, you're wrong. This is not what's going to bring true happiness. Um, and then he says that Jolene knew that Emporio would be able to make it to this point to stop Pucci, um, that everyone in the Joe Bros sacrificed their life, but that their resolve continues to, to push all of this forward. And that's when the report starts to – actually, right before that, I think, is when, um, is when we get a very quick – Hamon sound from Emporio. Mm-hmm. This goes over your head really. It, it happens so fast that you might not even notice it, but we caught it in our, our rewatches that I think it's the moment where like Emporio is saying these things to him. He points at Pucci and then it like zooms into his face and you just get that Hamon sound right before Weather Report starts to pummel the shit out of Pucci into the floor. I think Emporio says your fate is walking down the path of justice uh, right as that Hamon sound hits. So it's almost like it's like if as if Jonathan is speaking through Emporio in this moment. Um, I think that's what the Hamon sound is trying to symbolize is, again, the idea that the Joestar resolve is still still very strong, even within someone who isn't a Joestar. Which is ironic, if I'm using that word correctly, because the, the situation they're in is all about oxygen in the room and not being able to oh. breathe properly. Yet Hamon <laughs> yeah. is a power that is driven on proper breathing techniques. Mm. So <laughs> maybe maybe Hamon still works because it's so much oxygen. Maybe mm-hmm. all that oxygen amplifies the Hamon. I don't know. But either way, it was kind of cool to get that, that quick moment of Hamon because when you haven't heard it for a really long time, yet it, it's something you hold near and dear to your heart from the time spent watching parts one and two, when it finally pops up again, you're like, holy shit, was that Hamon? <laughs> you just, mm-hmm. you have that oh shit moment and you get really excited. Like, wait a minute, I recognize that sound. Yeah, it was a nice sort of mini trip down memory lane hearing that sound again. And when Poochie finally gets destroyed with Weather Report punching him so much, he gets punched into the floor and then the universe like does this whole crazy thing. Poochie's death causes the universe to switch because as Pucci said before, Made in Heaven didn't complete its full reset. Um, therefore, it kind of like Pucci's death undoes everything that he's been trying to do. 
if I if I am remembering this correctly, is that kind of the the sense you got when Pucci finally met his demise? Yeah, I guess since Pucci wasn't in control of the universe since he died, then that sort of just negated what he intended to do with the universe. Yeah, like the universe didn't come full circle, so it didn't finish what it needed to do, so it just kind of undid everything. But it also changed fate because now like certain things do and don't exist in the final iteration of the universe that Emporio finds himself in. So that's how Stone Ocean ultimately ends is um is showing us that fate can change, but fate will still be strong. And the, re- the reason I say that is because this entire sequence um, where we see the return of the Joe Bros, it shows us fate forcing the Joe Bros back together. First, you have Hermes being forced off the bus because of her money situation. And then it starts to rain, which forces her to take up Anasui's offer of exchange- exchanging gas money for a free ride. Um, and then Emporio, of course, is going to go with Jolene. Like that, that was that was inevitable. I don't think he needed fate to encourage him to go with Jolene in that moment. And then, of course, you have Weather Report hitchhiking on the road ahead and Jolene being compelled to help another individual in need who just so happens to be Weather Report and one of the Joe Bros. The only downside here is that there's no mention of Foo Fighters. Yeah, I guess Foo Fighters, fortunately, just passed on into the afterlife. Um, and is just watching from above in all all the different universes. A uh, couple of things that I wanted to point out is with like each of the Joe Bros, the prison posse here have alternate versions of their names. Um, I think this isn't mentioned in the episode itself, but Hermes's is Aldis. I think it would have been cooler if she, if she was like Elvis. <laughs> There's the musical music reference there. Uh, then you have Anakis, which is uh, Anasui's new word. <laughs> I think it could have been Anakin. That would have been funny. <laughs> uh, and then you have Jolene, who who drops like the, the JoJo moniker from her name, and uh, it now goes by Irene. But there is some significance here because Irene is the same name that Araki used for his manga, Gorgeous Irene, which he worked on prior to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because that is huge. The fact that Jolene's name changes um, is is incredibly important. And I remember one of our friends asked me about that, like my thoughts on that. And here's how I explained it, at least from from my understanding. In this new universe or new iteration of the universe, Jotaro names names Jolene Irene to signal that the Joestar curse has been broken. The cycle has ended, so she isn't mm. given a Jojo name, but is still a Joestar, and we have confirmation of that because she has the birthmark, and Emporio actually sees that that birthmark. So that cycle and that curse of like the Joestars versus Dio ends. Um, and the Joestar fate has changed, but the Joestars themselves themselves haven't gone away. So now he can have a normal relationship with his daughter. Now he can have a normal life being a marine biologist or whatever. He doesn't mm. have to constantly fight enemy stand users. So it shows that Pucci was unsuccessful in ending the Joestars because she has her birthmark. But their fate is changed for the better because... Again, like you have that Jotaro resolve, but Jotaro is not compelled to name her 
Jolene. You can name her whatever she wants because this is a kind of like a, a new path for them. Does that make sense? Like it's a new direction they're heading because that cycle's broken. So theoretically, his name might not be Jotaro, but Kyutaro. Yeah. <laughs> same logic <laughs> since they're not bound by this, yeah, this curse of, of Dio. And to piggyback off of what you mentioned about um, gorgeous Irene, Araki's other manga, if you look back to part two, the cafe that I believe Joseph and Smokey are at before he lights it up with the Tommy gun. I think that's the cafe. It's called Cafe Irene. And I've been holding on to this Easter egg since our part two review series. I just didn't want to say anything because I would spoil Stone Ocean for a lot of people, including you. See, I've been holding on to that one in my pocket for so long. So I don't know if that was like a David production add-in or if in the part two manga, it also shows Cafe Irene. But yeah, I feel like that's a call back to, or that's a tie-in to gorgeous Irene, but then also Jolene's name changing to Irene. Okay, I remember you paused at this moment when we did our watch through of part two for our review series, and you wouldn't say why, <laughs> but then now it, it makes sense. You have been waiting a long time to figure out why I paused that day. <laughs> it's like, it's just a fucking cafe. What's so special about it? I can't possibly move on from the ending of Stone Ocean without talking about Anasu and Jolene because I've been shipping the shit out of them this entire review mm. series. Let's go. They are canon. I love this ending so, so much because Jolene and Anasui both find happiness together. And then, of course, we get confirmation that Jolene has a um, what we assume to be a happy, healthy relationship with Jotaro because she's seeking his approval of her boyfriend, Anasui, and hoping that they'll eventually get his blessing so that they can get married. I mean, if Jolene didn't have a good relationship with her father, I don't think that's what they would be looking to do in this moment. But the fact that she wants to introduce Anasui and seek his approval, and not even Anasui seeking Jotaro's approval, but Jolene seeking his approval, I think that just gives me all sorts of butterflies, all sorts of warm, fuzzy feels, because it's love between Anasui and Jolene and love between Jotaro and Jolene. Or Irene, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Anakis and Irene. I'll take it because it's not just a random prisoner that is falling in love with Jolene. Who murdered his last girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we're not privy to it, but I'm sure they've they've built up a healthy relationship. And so, yeah, it's, it's just nice to see that these characters have broken out of their stone ocean, their prisons, and have gone to live lives as they wanted. And I actually got choked up with this whole final scene, um, especially when Emporio started crying from happiness, realizing it, it, it's almost like, I know if you use this this word a million times in this episode, but it's bittersweet because the original Joe Bros that Emporio came to know and love are not ever going to be the same, but he's just happy he can even have a version of them mm -hmm. and be able to live his life with them. So the, the crying scene for Emporio is where I really got choked up. Um, and I think that the ending panned out beautifully and David Production did a fantastic job animating it. And I know they kind of play the ED for Stone Ocean a bit prematurely here, uh, Distant Dreamer by Duffy. But I think it's it's very meaningful, especially when you think of the lyric, although you think I smile inside all the while, I'm wondering about my destiny. 
uh, and obviously Destiny plays a huge role in Stone Ocean, and here we don't have to wonder about the destiny of these characters, uh, because we can see Emporio finally getting closure that in this universe, uh, the Joe Bros, the prison posse, like I said, are able to live live fruitful and meaningful lives now. Oh, I see that you found the uh, screenshot of Cafe Irene or Irene Cafe, whichever mm-hmm. it is. We'll share that screenshot from part two in the Discord. So if you're not a member of our Discord, the link to join us in the description. You can see a lot of these screenshots and memes and everything that we've been talking about. I think a couple more things before we wrap up our discussion. Um, you have the final shot of the prison po- I won't call them the prison posse anymore because they're not from they're they're out of prison now uh, or they never have been under my assumption uh, the the Joe bros they all get together in the car uh, Emporio joins them and they drive off into the sunset and then you have the shot of the Joe bros of part six um, appearing as silhouettes in the sky uh, I think what's interesting but was necessary and good on david david productions part is that these silhouettes are 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 slightly different from the manga in that it now includes foo fighters who was omitted from the panel in which this shot was taken um so i'm I'm sure we, we can share a comparison shot of this in the discord where it's funny because the manga it, it leaves room in the spot where foo fighters appears in the anime for them to, to properly honor Foo Fighters. But I'm, I'm glad that David Production uh, was able to reconcile this. Yeah, I wonder why Rocky didn't put Foo Fighters in... Does he forgot. Yeah, <laughs> in anything with the ending, not even this final this final like shot of them in the sky. Because when you get shots of Joe Bros in the sky, that means they died. <laughs> and she technically died alongside everyone else. Maybe it's because she's technically Plankton. And like technically but she a stand, still played a pivotal role. No, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not justifying what he, what he, his choice there. But I'm just trying to like rationalize, like why wouldn't you add Foo Fighters? Her death was probably one of the the hardest to to swallow in this entire story. Um, but yeah, then he he didn't add her in the manga. So no, I I agree. I think it's fantastic that David Production added her in that final shot because it just it would have felt so wrong if she wasn't there Mm -hmm. but the fun doesn't stop because as they're driving off into the sunset or whatever you hear the familiar plucks of a guitar string that was wild that was wild (laughs) because none of us were thinking that was going to happen and then all of a sudden like the hamon sound from earlier with emporio you hear that guitar like fade in and you're like oh shit i recognize this Mm -hmm. wait a second (laughs) and if you haven't already guessed we're talking about roundabout by yes so yeah roundabout is back for one final go in the jojo series and this was just a fantastic way to end part six and I guess this first iteration of JoJo's as a whole. Hearing Roundabout and then watching the visuals from this ED of basically every part leading up to part six, it just, that really signaled the end of an era. It was, mm-hmm. it was like exciting, but also just like, it was bittersweet. I, we've been saying it like a million <laughs> times. It's, it was bittersweet because you're like, oh my God, everything really has come full circle. Everything has, um, you know, it, it just feels so complete, so satisfying. And yet 
you know you have to kind of say goodbye to this era of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. But I think this was a great way to send off this era with all of those kind of minimalist visuals of each JoJo part. And then you have the Joestar birthmark kind of flying through the sky. Um, I'm sure those would be great desktop backgrounds if anyone was able to capture them. Hell yeah. <laughs> without the, the credits rolling. Um, but yeah, just a fantastic way to round out, <laughs> round out the entirety of JoJo up until this point. I have to say, though, I think one of the downsides, one of the missed opportunities for part six when it comes to EDs is using Jolene by Dolly Parton. Mm. I think that they could have had Distant Dreamer as the first core um, ED and then Jolene by Dolly Parton as like the second core or flip them. I mean, there's three cores. Like you could have each of those and then maybe the final episode has roundabout. I don't think they should change the roundabout ending. That was fantastic. That was such a great way to end this this uh, finale and end this whole story. But I would have loved to have heard Jolene by Dolly Parton as at least one of the EDs for part six. I know we got mm. uh, guests singing it in her introductory episode for like a brief moment. So I'm glad at least there was that acknowledgement of Jolene by Dolly Parton. But I don't know. A lot of us were holding out hope that that was going to be one of the songs. Yeah, I'm sure there was some music licensing issues there. And so they just had to settle on Distant Dreamer, which is still a good choice for a JoJo ED. Uh, I would say maybe if, if they did happen to get the rights to Jolene by Dolly Parton, they could have done that as like the first core and then Distant Dreamer as like the, the second and third one or as the final core, just because I think there's so much emotional resonance with them using this song with the themes of fate and destiny. Dolly Parton was probably like, what the fuck is anime? What the fuck is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I think she would have agreed to it, though, as long as her music's being used for a positive purpose. I know. She seems like a pretty cool person, honestly. <laughs> so mm. I don't know what happened there, but it's Unless fine. It's because she does not like Jolene in the song. <laughs> right? The song is about how Jolene was taking her man away. <laughs> yeah. Like, the song, the lyrics themselves aren't exactly a fit, but like, is Walk Like an Egyptian from part three a total fit for part three? No. Like, yeah, it mentions mm -hmm. Egypt. And there's a, if you play the whole song, there's a mention of Japan as well. Not in the actual ED, uh, like, size, though. But, you know, it's Jolene. Like, like Jolene. Like, isn't that her, her namesake? Is Jolene by Dolly Parton? Yeah, I'm sure it was. Well, you could go to, like, the... The fan edits. Yeah, I was gonna say it's probably like a fan fan edit or like an AMV or something that uses it. So I'll just I'll use that to fill the void. And that brings us to our final thoughts for part six, episode thirty-eight. What a wonderful world. So did this episode make you see trees of green and red roses too? Hell yeah. I it was it's a great finale. Um I think that with all of the the craziness that has happened with Stone Ocean, this particular episode makes it all worth it. Like it just makes it worth the the insanity of Stone Ocean itself, but the insanity of like the release schedule and the drama behind everything with Netflix. Like it it all just kind of makes me forget all that stuff um, and just makes me so happy that we got a beautiful clean satisfying finale to this story. One that drew emotion out of me, 
Um, hopefully drew a lot of emotion out of many of the JoJo fans and one that I think did a great job of explaining one of the most confusing plot points in all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, at least through parts one one to six. Um, I can't speak for anything beyond that because I haven't read any, any of the manga, but I think that my concerns around the explanation of the universe reset were put to rest because David Production found a way to balance all of Pucci's dialogue with enough visual um, representations and with um, really good voice acting performances that helped emphasize different parts of what was going on with the universe reset that made it so much easier to understand than just reading it in a bunch of manga panels. So while not a lot happened in this episode, a lot still happened that played into everything we've been working toward for the entirety of Stone Ocean. So yeah, I just think the finale was fantastic, played out so well, and I don't think even a smidge of it should be changed, other than maybe somehow sneaking in Dolly by Dolly Parton. But what about you? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought this finale was fantastic. It was one of the most unique finales to a JoJo part that we have seen in anime form thus far, and one that still strongly resonates as it eloquently ties back to the theme of fate and destiny that permeates JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, despite Stone Ocean concluding without its star protagonist, I think this episode demonstrates that the Joestar resolve and determination to triumph over evil still emerges strong against the tides of fate, even in the hands of a young boy once afraid of what the outside world might be like. And as much as Pucci believes his mission to be righteous in clearly laying out the path of one's fate so as to be prepared for when the day comes, I think even by Jojo logic, this is shown to be a farce, as even the Joe stars and the Joe bros knew, by willingly sacrificing their lives for the greater good, that fate shouldn't be predetermined for one's life, and that like Jolene, we can break out from the chains of our own circumstances to aspire for something greater than what the world wants to throw at us. And maybe that's quite a stretch for a JoJo part that made a crocodile poop joke, but I think the threads are there, no pun intended, and I'm grateful that this episode showed that. Which leads into our overall final thoughts for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean. So for this season, for this part as a whole, how many Jolene with it, rock with it out of 10 would you give JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean? I always joke about this saying like as a JoJo fan, I would always give it a 10 out of 10. It's a 10 out of 10 on my mouth. <laughs> like JoJo's always just going to be a 10 out of 10 for me. But as like a, I hate to say like a podcaster, but as an individual who should be as objective as possible in reviews, I, I need to give a more objective score. And this one was tough for me um, because we have not had the opportunity to give final scores for parts three through five, but I needed to kind of think about how this falls among parts one through five. And I think based on that and based on what I could see myself giving parts three, four, and five, I landed on an 8.5 out of 10 for part six, Stone Ocean. And there's a couple different things that played into this. So I'm not going to hold all the Netflix nonsense against the anime. That was like probably outside of the realm of like David Production and the anime itself. 
However, as much as I speak highly about JoJo and about Stone Ocean, there there are things like animation that fell a little bit short. Like I don't think the animation was as consistent or as high quality as other parts, especially watching Stone uh, Stardust Crusaders in the midst of the Stone Ocean review series when there was a gap. There are some stark differences. Um, there are some some obvious. Uh, quality differences between some of the JoJo parts and the way Stone Ocean panned out. Because, like, part three looks really fucking good in most of its episodes and, like, just has high attention to detail. And there are more times than not in Stone Ocean where the animation looks good but could be better. Um, Also, the reuse of the OP, even after we got sound effects for the first OP, and then we just kept using using it again. And then like they they hinted at Jolene getting on Jotaro's back, which is an iconic image from the manga, and then never showed it to us. Um, and just like reusing the same story beats from the first core in the second core, which doesn't make any sense because all those things had already happened. I think all of that was a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Um, and then of course, no change at all in the ED other than minor, minor changes in the third iteration, in the third core um, of the ED. Now, of course, Roundabout was fantastic. Um, so, you know, at least we had that to look forward to. I, I do think that Stone Ocean gave us one of the best groups, uh, best group of Joe Bros that we've had among all of the JoJo parts. And you can tell they really, truly care about one another. Like, I get the same vibes and closeness of the Stone Ocean Joe Bros that I get from the Stardust stardust crusaders joe bros like they are just a very close-knit group even though they're not always in the same room together or aren't always on screen together but with that said i feel like there weren't as many enemy stand users that left a lasting impression on me anyway compared to other parts like if i think back to like part four or whatever i can probably name the vast majority of enemy stand users because they all stand out to me but in thinking back to stone ocean enemy stand users I can describe them, but I can't quite remember all of them. Like the monkey guy. I don't remember. Lang Wrangler. <laughs> Ray Wrangler, Jumping thank you. Jack Flash. <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's just me because I suck at remembering names and titles. But I, I think overall, again, that these enemy stand users from Stone Ocean, while being really unique, they, there's something about them that didn't hit as hard as, as much of the time. Also, a handful of the enemy stand users were pretty confusing. Even in the anime adaptation. Like, we we were pretty confused oftentimes in, in these uh, episode reviews. However, despite all these things, the story of Stone Ocean was beautiful. It held so much meaning for the Joestar lineage. And unlike parts four and five that sort of have, like, their own contained story that, like, sometimes crosses over or references the Joestar lineage, part six's whole story and purpose plays directly into the Joestars and their long history with Dio, kind of like how part three did. And I love that. I love that so much. I think that makes Stone Ocean so much more special than potentially parts four and five because that that holds so much meaning, that holds so much weight. And again, the ending is bittersweet, probably one of the most bittersweet endings we have in the JoJo anime so far um, because of the fact that it plays directly into the Joestar lineage. And... It is the end of an era. What would you give this whole part, part six? Yeah, it was tough for me too. Um, I, I kind of weighed it against my favorite parts of JoJo, which are, it's it's always a toss-up between part three and part five. But after, again, considering the story and 
I guess uh, just the, the production itself. I ended up giving part six Stone Ocean a nine out of 10. Uh, Stone Ocean may not have felt as thrilling as the globe-trotting journey of Stardust Crusaders or the crime drama of Golden Wind, but it definitely stood out for me from previous JoJo parts and how it brought the saga of the Joestar family full circle whilst capitalizing on the series' overarching theme of unbridled resolve against the challenges of fate and destiny. I think it was fitting to put the conclusion of the six-part family drama in the capable hands of the daughter of a Joestar well-versed in fighting fate twisted within the clutches of evil as she herself reckons with a just-as-malevolent force that seeks to justify its own irrational spin on fate. Part 6 may have had the most confusing and egregious stands to date, but that's sort of balanced out by characters and watershed moments that may stray a bit from the norm of JoJo, but are still very much JoJo-esque at its core. And all of this is done with the same amount of reverence and attention to detail that we've come to expect from the JoJo godsend that is David Production. So major props to them, even if Netflix had to come in and muck things up a bit. So while we must all bid adieu to the JoJoverse as we know it by the end of Stone Ocean, I think this part was a cathartic end to a family legacy whose spirit continues to live on even in alternate universes, and it just makes me excited to see what unique paths JoJo's Bizarre Adventure will go on from here, especially because the horses are coming. <laughs> they're, they're coming soon. Maybe not for a couple years, but the horses are coming. I don't know what to do with myself now. Stone Ocean is is done. We have completed our review series of part six. I mean, we have Ooh. plenty to tackle in JoJo. I mean, we're not even halfway done um, with Stardust Crusaders. And of course, there's parts four and five. But this has been a journey, especially with all of the the unexpected elements of Stone Ocean's actual run its premieres i mean we we thought that we were going to have a break between course two and three and that did not happen at all there was like maybe a a single week between them it felt like um but we have we've done it we we've made it all the way to the end and it was great because this was the first time you and i got to properly experience a jojo part as it was releasing i know it it didn't pan out the way we had hoped with the way netflix uh, played out its schedule, but it was still an experience. Um, and, and I'm glad that even though it was sort of like at the, the tail end of the Joestar family saga, as, as we see now, uh, I think it, it just brings a, a bit of closure that I appreciate with, with this segment of the adventure and again, just looking forward to what lies ahead for JoJo. Yeah, you're bringing up a good point. We didn't jump on the JoJo bandwagon. We didn't officially become JoJo fans until the end of part five because I kept seeing all these JoJo memes and like, what the fuck is this? And like most people, you get sucked into the memes and you get super curious and then you watch JoJo and then you're hooked for life. So yeah, to be able to experience the premiere of a full JoJo part 
is really exciting. I think back to the announcement that they had where we did like a special one-off episode and talked about what we had watched at like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, um, our time. It was it was so cool. It was so exciting. And now we're we're here at the at the very end. How like, time accelerates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a lot has even happened in the time that we've been watching Stone Ocean, including, again, like our, our baby that will be here soon. And thank you all for bearing with me as I probably sound very, very winded. Um, being nine months pregnant, it's hard to balance my excitement talking about JoJo with also, also being able to catch my breath in the middle of all that. But look forward to even more exciting JoJo content. While we may not have a new premiering part to look forward to for quite some time, we've got awesome JoJo parts that we are going to be diving into. I can't wait to get back into Stardust Crusaders um, and talk about all of the great memes and moments that are in that part. Yeah, we'll still be within this iteration of the JoJo universe. Yeah, so. and the, the best part is now that we've completed our Stone Ocean Review series, we'll be able to find find all of the all of the references um, and all of the tie-ins between Stardust Crusaders and Stone Ocean because those two are the most closely connected. And most importantly, thank you to all of you guys for sticking with us through the Stone Ocean Review series. And we hope that you're looking forward to us jumping back into Stardust Crusaders. And thank you for being awesome fellow JoJo fans. As always, subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Finn.